Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. This is stage three of the Giro d'Italia, the recap of it, the first Monday of the Giro. They might have got the two stages mixed around the profiles. Some people say having a flat sprint on Sunday and the sort of climby, sprinty stage on stage three from Biela, Biela to Canale, 191Ks, pretty flat, with a couple of little rollers in the first 115Ks. And then the climbing is in this 70-kilometre section. There's a 7.5K, 5% climb, 10K valley, 5Ks, 5% descent, 5.5Ks, 5.3%, longer descent, and then... Cresting 15Ks from the finish, the bonus seconds, not the Chiclamino points. The second IS is a climb 2.6Ks at about well, 7% is telling me. Little rise with about mm, 8Ks to go, 500 metres at 6.3%. So it's a real borderline stage, classic stage for someone like Magnus Court, Peter Sagan, Michael Matthews, Sonny Cobrelli, but we only have one of those here. Sorry, I seem to be going through puberty again today. But, yeah, just Peter Sagan here. He was the out-and-out favourite. Nitsolo was the second in the betting. And then I think even Ewan got given a pretty good chance in the top five in the betting, which Benji and I were not in agreement with. But a break went Benji, as was predicted, and uh, it didn't look that strong on the surface. It kind of looked like a pro Conti TV coverage break once again. Yeah, Simon Pelot was in there. He was uh, the first rider of Androni in the breakaway to get away. Zoccarato, Rivi, Van der Berg, um, Kujar, Albanese, and Van der Horn. The roles in this breakaway is simply that we have Pelot, who's always aggressive. He's kind of like the, uh, the Loki Thomas de Gend. And... Then we have, for example, Albanese, who is most likely uh, spending all his energy on getting as many KOM points as possible. I think Rivi is a teammate of Albanese as well, if I recall correctly. So two riders from Iolo Cometa in the breakaway in this stage. Now, from this breakaway, I indeed immediately said, okay, this is a relatively large breakaway, but it's also not terrible. I think that it's a breakaway, like you say, with pro Conti teams, but you don't necessarily see too many breakaways of seven, eight riders get away. And we actually had another rider join up a bit later. Ponomar was bridging up. Uh, the 18-year-old we spoke about in the Giro preview, man wrote Milano San Remo and now the Giro at the age of 18. Bloody crazy. But uh, he had trouble getting to the back of that front group and his teammate at the front, below actually had to uh, go back and pick up his younger brother, Ponomar, in the second group. And bring him towards the front when he was like 100 meters behind the, the breakaway. So a bit of teamwork there to get Ponomar in the break as well. Really nice to see because it felt like it was genuinely a, an older brother, younger brother scenario from what I could see. But that aside, uh, the breakaway was uh, given quite a few minutes. I think it went up to 
a solid five to six minutes throughout the stage. But we saw that a certain team in the peloton was taking full control. That was Bora Hansgrohe, and, uh, which was the expected thing. Sagan was one of the riders that was expected to win on this kind of stage. On the KOMs in the stage, Albanese was hitting hard to try and get every single one of them, and he got the majority of them. So uh, congratulations to Albanese securing the KOM for another day. And I'm curious how long he can keep it, but I don't believe he's going to be winning it by the end of this Giro, personally. Nonetheless, when it comes to the rest of the stage, I think that it was a bit of a battle of Ora Hansgrohe trying to reduce the gap to the peloton without actually catching the breakaway because we have that bonus gate coming up, right? What do you think the logic well, behind it was? Well, on every, all the climbs, taking it back a step, on all the climbs, Bora's focus for all of today, I'm not sure if you mentioned Benji, was to pace to drop Ewan, Melier, Gronewegen, Nitsolo, Gaviria, Viviani, trying to drop as many of them as possible. The first 7.5k climb, already Ewan was in difficulty, Gronewegen gone. Ewan made it back on. Then they dropped him again. They dropped Merlier, dropped Gronewegen, dropped Decker. Gaviria and Viviani were sitting pretty right there. Crazy. On the, I know. We didn't give them much of a chance. Uh, we thought Nitsolo was climbing a little bit better, but he actually dropped on the Manera climb, the last 5K, 5.3% one. He was dropped. But as Benji said, Bora did not want to bring back the break before the final 2.5K climb that crests with 15Ks to go. And there's a really good reason for that because you might have you might be looking at how this stage eventually plays out. You see the time gap on the highlights or whatever of 80 seconds from a full peloton to a break that, to be honest, I don't think they cooperated perfectly all day. In fact, they attacked each other pretty much for half of the day. You might be thinking, how do they not catch them quicker? And that's because if Bora had that gap at, say, 20 seconds or less going into the base of that climb, that creates an incentive for Quickstep, Ineos, and whichever other GC teams are interested to go for the bonus seconds. And it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's not that they may be planned to take the bonus seconds, but because they are an offer, they have to assume that another team will try and get those bonus seconds, which means they'll go to the front, they'll start pacing hard. You saw Ineos move to the front with Ghana, but they were kind of just there for position, not to pace. So Bora deliberately let that gap stay over a minute, they deliberately let the break go over the bonus gate and mop up those seconds, so they were allowed to pace on the climb. And even with them pacing on the climb, Benji, Sagan was dropping because at the end of that final 2.5K climb, Bora had been working all day. No other teams had been helping them. Sagan was dropping because Ciccone and Tony Gallopan had attacked, the only men brave enough to have a crack. What I want to ask you, Benji, is are you surprised a, that none of the GC teams took it up, going for the bonus. B, that no team sent someone like Formula, Honoré, and Ulysses even. Any of those sort of names with Ciccone and Tony Gallopan chasing after the reduced break now of, I think, Pellod and Taco Vanderhorn. Well, firstly, I think that I'm not surprised that any GC team didn't take control to try and upset, um, well, everything that was happening and was not trying to go for those seconds, for example, because 
I think the gap before the climb was still too big to decide, are we going to put people at the front to actively search for those bonus seconds? Because then other people already know that you're going to go for it anyway. And one of the things that happens at these bonus second sprints sometimes in stages that there's a bit of a surprise from some teams that are actually going for it. We saw it, I think, last year with Almeida and some other rider who was on one or two seconds of MNGC that suddenly they were sprinting against each other on an intermediate sprint that nobody expected them to really sprint against each other for. Conrad? So those surprises come into play. Um, I, I don't remember. Generally don't remember, so I can't tell you. <laughs> but um, I think that that is partially the reason that I don't expect the team to pick it up. Because one, the gap before the climb was too large to decide, oh, we're going to put people at the front to do so. And secondly, because if you do, then everybody knows you've got cards to play at that intermediate sprint on top of that Guarene climb. And next to that, would I, if I was the Koenig, for example, send Honore to uh, try and go with Galopin Ciccone? Possibly. It, it, it's very possible. I think that it would have had an effect on the stage. But on the other hand, I, I'm kind of not sure because they're there with GC people. They've got two people close in GC right now. Musnada has not gone in GC either. He's not very close either at the moment. But this means that they still have three cards in GC to play. Spending on order here probably won't affect too much when it comes to a cost. But I think that their focus lies solely on GC at the moment. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does take away opportunities, of course. But that's with every GC team. I think that Ineos had the same thing. Why did Moscow not follow those two attacks? Same story. Nervais, yes. Very, very iconic name indeed. And... I think that those are the tactics that I see in that. But in the meanwhile, while all this was happening, yeah. It is a shame for the race. Like we, Benji and I, were hoping they would get some freedom. And I just, we would like to say, you know, first of all, Quickstep generally have raced like this in the past. This is an example of a transition to a different style of racing defensively for GC. Last year's stage, 13 in the Giro to, I think, Monsalice. I know it's a slightly harder stage, but. They paced really hard, I think, on the climbs and they came second in the sprint, getting Almeida bonus seconds and nearly taking up the stage win, just losing to Ulysses. So playing it a bit safer now. Ineos, again, none of that aggressive riding today, pure defensively. But getting on to the finale of this stage, we've got 14 kilometres of largely flat, apart from that 500-metre punch with 700 metres to go. We've got Pelod and... Taco Van Horn up the road. Had the Bardiani rider been dropped at this point, Benji? I think he was on yes. the on the, the last major climb. And Bora right. couldn't pace too hard because Sagan was dropping. So the gap was going out a little bit. They were trying to catch Ciccone and Galapan, and you had 40 seconds from Peloton to Taco and Pelo, 20 seconds in the middle of them, 20 seconds either way. In no man's land was Ciccone and Galapan, and they pretty much weren't able to move the needle either way, Galapan and Ciccone. And the fact that the peloton wasn't gaining on these two guys in the break, despite them being in the break all day, it's flat, means that they weren't pacing that hard because they were trying to get Sagan to recover, move up, not trying to drop him again. And UAE, ISU, Cofidis, not helping whatsoever eventually taco van horn with eight k's to go with the gap at 38 seconds 
to the peloton and 19 seconds to Galapan and Chicona. He attacked Pelo to go his own pace. And I Cleverly. thought it was a mistake. I thought it was a mistake, Benji. Oh, really? Well, I, I didn't. I thought it was because I thought Pelo was cooperating okay. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. Ineos have moved to the front. That's good for you. Ineos don't care if you are going to win this stage. They'll let you go up the road. And I thought just work together and attack a bit later so you can keep the gap to Ciccone and Gallopan. But why do you think it was a good move from Taco to go clear with eight to go? I think that Pelot was reducing the speed at which they were riding in those first two, oh well, the first two riders in that breakaway. Because I think I'll go into the history of Taco von Horn a bit later after the stage, but we know him as a rider and has a huge engine on the flat. And he can keep that up for quite a while. And the fact that in this group he was looking like he was waiting until Pelot's plate was eaten. And I feel like he waited until the moment that Pelot stopped his longer turn and then he decided to attack the moment that Pelot thought, oh, he's going to take over. And I think that was a very clever way to attack. Not necessarily that he attacked him. I mean, that was a clever thing. I think it's still a good idea. But... I think that the clever part was the way he waited until Pelot was done with his turn to then go around him and, and make sure he's got that tiny advantage by having rested in his wheel for quite a bit there. So I think that's the benefit. And it also gives the benefit of getting away from him. But Because let's say he doesn't do that and he attacks straight away. That means that Pelot might be faster onto his wheel. Now, Pelot is 10 meters behind, 5 meters behind when the initial kick happens because, well, he had to do a turn just a second ago. And Van der Horn has a better engine, which means that he can actually start hammering it while Pelot does not have that and has trouble closing that gap. And that causes Van der Horn to get away. That causes that gap to open up and it causes Pelot to totally destroy himself in an attempt to last minute get back to Van der Horn's wheel. And that's not happening, mate. Not to Taco. And uh, Taco was gone from Pelot at that moment. And he can do his own pace. He could just go full, not having to worry about Pelot attacking him. Uh, on a rise or if he starts to sit on him and then they get caught. He doesn't have to worry about that gamesmanship. I just thought, I think like everyone, like Mm -hmm. many of the teams there today, Taco Vanderhorn was underestimated how strong this guy is. He basically held off Chicone and Galapan on his own. Those two were working seamlessly together, those two riders, perfectly in cohesion. They couldn't gain at all on Taco Van Horn. You had Bora pacing. Eventually, Cofidis start to help. UAE start to help in the last six, five Ks. But the gap is still at 22, 24 seconds. They're about to mop up Chicone and Galapan, and they're not really gaining that quickly on Van der Horn. UAE are burning their riders quickly. They've got, I think, Gaviria in the group, they do. They've got Gavir in the group. ISU have Chimalai in the group. He's won uh, a similar sort of stage. I've mentioned it a couple of times this year, the Kalela, Kaleya sorry, stage in Catalonia. He's won that, which has got some extended climbs ahead of Buani. Sagan and Bora have been working all day. They are cooked. Cofidis have Viviani. They're barely helping. Briefly, they try and pull it back. So it's a real hodgepodge of a chase they start to panic with four k's to go and then it was really just a numbers game three k's to go 19 22 seconds 
two k's to go, still only seventeen seconds, twelve hundred meters to go. I think fourteen seconds, and by that point, we were like, he's going to win easily. Taco Vanderhorn, the Intermarche Wanty Gobert Materio. What an impressive performance. I wasn't even under the flamme rouge. I had my stopwatch on my phone out. I timed it. I was like, they're not catching this bloke. He'd had the same pain face for about 8Ks for 14, 13 minutes, just pinned, and he won this stage posting up 200 metres before the line just about in front of the chasing peloton and the first win for Intermarche this year where I'm stoked for him. I think it was fantastic, thoroughly deserved. And I guess why do you think he was underestimated, Benji? And what's he done in the past that kind of, not intimated, showed he could do this? Yes. So uh, in regards to Taco's history, he's actually got quite a few proper wins already. I think in 2017, he ended up winning Duarte de No, it's Carl Sells, not Duarte de Very similar reigns, but it's Carl Sells, uh, which is a bit of a, a race with gravel sections in between and so forth in, in uh, Belgium. And he ended up winning that uh, against Wout van Aert. In the last five kilometers, he bridged towards van Aert on the flat section. In the final kilometer, in the last bend, he outsprinted van Aert, who was done after that day. So... Uh, Crazy victory there by Taco van der Horn. Shows he's got an engine on the flat for certain. And he repeated that, I think, in 2018 or 19. I think it's 18, but I'm not sure about it. In the Bing Bang Tour that uh, Modric won. Okay. Because there was a stage in the Bing Bang Tour where uh, they were in the breakaway. The breakaway ended up making it. And he actually did so by doing something in the last final section again with his huge engine. And Modric ended up taking the uh, leader jersey in that stage and ended up winning the entire thing that week but he shows that he's got an engine the reason that i think he's underrated is that last year he was riding for yumbo and his season wasn't exactly going up to the standards i think that yumbo was expecting or he he didn't get re-signed as a consequence of yeah seems like he yeah. wasn't riding at a level where he should be and at the end of the season he ended up without a contract he was picked up by beat cycling club which is a dutch uh I'm not sure if it's a Conte team or a club at this point. I think they switched from from one to uh, the other one recently, but I I don't know in which uh, which direction. But that Beat Cycling Club is is uh, a decent team. Rides quite a few of those lower Belgian classics, but those are also their top races. And in the middle of the uh, in the of the preseason, I think in the early preseason, he actually uh, still got an offer by Antomache Wanti very late. And they were like, okay, come riding with us. And Beat said, yeah, go ahead. You get the opportunity. If someone of our team can ride in World Tour and we can give you that opportunity, then we're, we'll gladly ditch you off at Antomache Wanti. And uh, he got that opportunity. And I think that the stuff that happens last year and perhaps that he had a bit of a, a lesser season and has been on the background for quite a while now is probably why other people were looking at him and were like, okay, he's likely not making it today. And I think I was one of the people that at the start of the stage, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't see this break winning, but they, they got me. So, uh, so he was getting uh, dropped on the climbs. He never gave up. He, got, he was getting yeah. dropped on the climbs when the guys going for the points, the KOM points, et cetera, were attacking each other. He was getting dropped. And he just kept fighting, kept coming back. And, yeah, 
all credit to him. And they got unlucky in the Algarve into Marche with Van Poppel running into Bennett being there. He came second on stage one and three. They didn't get a win there where you thought, oh, this could be a good opportunity for them. Doesn't matter. Taco van der Horn, it's Tuesday in Australia right now. Taco Tuesday takes out the Giro for their first win of the season. I'm so – we're really happy for them. We you know, we were negative about them. Maybe we were realistic, Benji, about them in the preseason preview, and I think what we said is still correct, but that doesn't mean we're not really excited when a rider who's – They've taken a chance on and they're up against Bora and Cofidis and UAE and they win a big Grand Tour stage like this. It's fantastic to see. But the results, the top 10, this is another discussion point for now, Benji. First, yes. Tucker Van Horn. Second, Chimalai, Israel Startup Nation, the man I mentioned who I thought was quite nice on this sort of profile. Sagan, third for Bora. Viviani, fourth. Patrick Bevan, fifth, Israel Startup Nation. Vermeer, Gaviria, Betiol, Oldani, Mosca, Benji, Chimalai and Bevan, two in the top four of the reduced bunch sprint. What has gone on there? Did you see Bevan pulling to try and chase back Vanderhorn? They were only four seconds behind him, although he posted up for like 10 seconds. So I think it was really a 10-second gap. But what do you think has gone on there with ISU? Yeah, I think that's that's a slight mistake in my opinion because if you're in a situation where you have two riders that are not going for GC nor well and are actually trying to spend their energy on trying to win the stage, then you might as well try and use the other one to uh, get the first one a better result. And today that did not happen. And I think at a certain point I saw an ISU rider in second wheel not taking over from the last Bora rider pacing, and I, I was thinking, okay, like they. They must be feeling like they can't win this anyway. But yeah, I think that's a bit of a mistake. I think that ISU did a bit too little today. I think Cofidis perhaps did a bit too little today as well after the uh, climbing section because, well, they decided until the last 400 meters to take over. And if you do that, then it's very unlikely that you're going to catch your front. I think UAE was the team that responded the most to Bora slacking off after the last uh, hill. And I think they, they did also so. wanted to keep Gaviria in the group, I think. And they were like, oh, yeah. do we, if we ride too hard, we'll drop Gaviria and then we might just have ULC. Yeah. It's tough for them. Benji and I are reluctant to criticise Bora at all today. I think yeah. they were left to do way too much by the other teams. I think the other teams were, for some reason, underestimating Taka Vanderhorn. Secondly, overly scared of Sagan's sprint. They, Sagan, fantastic rider, one of the best ever. But head-to-head, he's not that much quicker than Viviani or Gaviria or even Chimalai. Chimalai beat him in the reduced bunch. We saw he's narrowly been beating Colbrelli and Co. and Bevan in, or oh, he beat MP in Catalonia, beat them in Romandy. Like, he's not just winning these sprints by miles. And well, you can't win the stage if you don't bring back the break. Worry about beating Sagan second. Uh, it's not like Art and Yumbo Visma are there with a full train or MVP. So I think everyone lent on Bora way too much, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference, but something to think about. Next stage, stage four from Piacenza to Sestola, 187 Ks. And it's supposed to be... 
a chaotic medium mountain stage. This is why it's been included by the organisers. Uh, it's supposed to spice up the race. It's flat for the first 80 kilometres. There's an inter- there's Chiclamino points at the end of the Rossena, 4Ks, 5.5%. Talk about what Sagan should do in a second. And it's just rolly climbs on a ridge. Then they do another 3.5Ks, 7.3% descent. Then the Monte Molino, 8.5K, 6%. Then a sort of undulating ridge line again. Then an uncategorised 4K, 7.5% with 24Ks to go. Descent and then the Colle Passarino, 4.3Ks, 9.5%. And then I think a 3K ridge line, Benji, with a yep. slightly uphill punch to the finish. So a weird finish. It's supposed to be <laughs> medium mountain chaos. If I'm the GC teams, I'll let the break go. I wouldn't bother tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I actually think that as well. And it's mainly because at this point, we don't have a team that necessarily needs to do it. And the team that is in pink right now is Ineos. And Ineos has shown multiple times in their history that whenever they are in the lead and they don't need to pace, why wouldn't they? So... I don't think Ineos is going to be the team that paces. Perhaps someone like Movistar takes over and tries to get something for Solaire on a stage like this. But I think that the stage on paper to me shouts breakaway. But I'm glad to be surprised because it would be nice if we see a De Koenig Kreider attack somewhere, perhaps like a Remco Evenepoel, you never know. But I think it's more likely to be the breakaway personally. And I've actually got a few names for that because I went ahead and I checked the bottom of the ranking of today and I found... Three riders casually taking 10 minutes. And they thought we wouldn't notice. Jan Trotnik, Thomas de Gend, and also Simon Carr. How dare they? Wait, what? Think Did Simon... they lose 10 minutes today? Yeah. Ooh, that's good. They listen to the pod. No, those guys are seasoned, great <laughs> professionals. They don't need to listen to us talk and dribble. Um, that's good pickup, Benji. Well, you have your names for tomorrow. <laughs> Who were those names, Benji? So I can go to my, so... go to my bookie. <laughs> No, Simon Carr. This is not financial advice, but the names Mate. were Simon Carr, again and Trotnik. And I think Simon Carr is the one that I named on the preview pod, yeah. but I don't remember. Can't tell anymore. So uh, that is a I pick look, that I hope uh, wins tomorrow, Simon Carr. That's my pick. Let's it's go. about 2,700 meters, the uh, ridge line at the end. There's 3,000 meters climbing in the stage. Do you think that the GC teams will let someone like Formolo go on a break. Nah, nah. You don't think? Why would they? I wouldn't. Because he's not a GC threat. I think that he's a GC threat for people that are trying to get a top 10. True, And true. Um, So if you're I Bahrain, that, you, you chase to protect Bilbao. Well, I, I, wouldn't nece- I don't know if you, I would necessarily chase behind Formolo, but... Let's say that I've got Bilbao on land and I see Formula getting in the break. Where I see Bennett getting in the break. Where I'm like, okay, Bilbao, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and that neutralizes the break from within without, honestly, I don't think too much energy at the start of the stage spent. Yeah. Yeah, I think the names Benji said are the sort of names we're looking for in the break. And, yeah, because this is why I, I think the break is, if I was the GC teams, I wouldn't bother too much. Four and a half Ks, nine and a half percent. Yeah, it's a hardish climb. But if you go full, if you're Ineos, you go absolutely full. How many seconds are you going to put into Almeida on that climb? At best, if he's having a bad yeah. day, 
10 seconds? Eight seconds? Like, it's not that long. Maybe it's steeper than I think and it looks on paper, but then you've got the ridge line afterwards. So you've got to maintain that for 2,700 metres. With Bernal, Almeida is so good at limiting losses. You've got bigger stages ahead. It just doesn't, the risk reward or effort reward doesn't seem correct. Benji and I hope Quickstep or Ineos, we hope they've got Moscon, Honore, uh, Navai, Scanner, all these names for a medium mountain stage like this to lighten up. But I don't really believe the uh, we ride differently type narrative from Ineos, to be honest, and I think they'd be happy to let the break go. I'd, I'd love to be surprised, Benji. Who do you think? I think if the break gets caught, someone like Dan Martin is winning or Formolo, someone who the other teams, the big teams will be like, you can have the bonus seconds. You can have a 10-second lead. I don't really mind, um, to be honest. Do you envision any significant GC gaps amongst the big guns? I think we are going to see one GC rider out of contention or losing a minute and a half or two minutes in the stage that we did not expect. Really, I'm looking at second line outsiders not not the top riders i think that we always get something like this in the first week of a ground tour where there's like one rider that doesn't seem to uh ride at the level that people are expecting i don't want to name any names and i actually found another name for the breakaway potentially tomorrow because groschart lost 10 minutes as well (laughs) oh really do you think you'll get freedom i don't know at all i hope you got freedom same with trotnik yeah gorka is a gear Gorka Izaguirre could win this if he was allowed to go in the break as well as Fabro. But these riders typically won't be allowed to go in the breakaway. Ruben Guerrero, EF always give their riders freedom. Caicedo Benji could be a decent shout. Uh, who else? Attila Volta for nah, too FTJ. Early. For too early? Okay, okay. Yeah. Benji's the Volta Whisperer. Ciccone probably will have to attack late if the break is caught. So similar to today, I don't see him being allowed to go in the break. And, yeah, that's about it. I wish Roman Bardet had lost 10 minutes today because I'd have him as my favourite out of the break tomorrow. But <laughs> it is – no, I'm serious. It is – I, I get it. That's, that's uh, how it would play out. Remy Rochas. I'd love to see him in the break too for Cofidis. This small guy is actually a bit punchy. Anyway, Benji, it's Ineos is saying they're here for Tosato afterwards and Bramati saying they're here to win stages and ride aggressively. But Ghana, can they afford to tomorrow? He's still in the Maglia Rosa. Is he going to be wearing that after the end of this stage with that 9.5% 4.3K climb at the end? Uh, it really depends on how fast the breakaway rides and the peloton rides. If the breakaway wins, then I don't think we'll see too much action in the peloton necessarily. And that would also mean that the bonus seconds before the final climb that I feel like are on the weirdest position ever anyway are not going to be GCR-oriented. And um, uh, I'm guessing that Ghana could on paper survive. I generally believe that a good Ghana on top level can survive stage like this, but... I think that I've said it for weeks now. Almeida's perfect plan needs to be that he needs to gain as much as possible in these kind of stages because if he needs to do it in a mountain stage in the third week, then he's going to lose time. And I think... Exactly. 
I think that's the issue here. Almeida needs to be in pink as soon as possible. Or yeah. Evenepoel, like those two riders. The, the currently agree. needs to be in pink as soon as possible because in third week they're going to lose time. We don't know about Evenepoel, but we know that about Almeida most likely. So in this situation, I'd say these kind of stages are the stage where you kind of want to make moves, but are they going to do it? I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's the only team that I'd expect it from if it happens. Benji and I both think that if Quickstep are going to actually use a dual leader strategy, that they need to use stages like this where, I mean, it's going to be difficult to put Ineos under pressure with the team they got in a medium mountain stage like this. But this is where Bernal doesn't have the biggest advantage over Almeida, if any, for the first 90% of the stage, except for the final climb, and they can put it Bernal under pressure. But whether they do that, whether they're riding for Avonapol, Ganner is 16 seconds ahead of Foss. Foss is four seconds ahead of Avonapol and Almeida. If Foss loses five seconds on the final climb and Ganner loses 20, Avonapol will be in pink tomorrow. But I don't really have a view on what will happen. I think maybe they let someone in the break take the Malia Rosa. I'm not sure how aggressive Ineos will be in riding to defend it for Ganner tomorrow. Big thanks to our show partner, Lacole, for making our Giro d'Italia podcast and all our podcasts possible this year. Remember, you can get 20% off all Lacole products during the Giro d'Italia with code, all caps, LRCP20, until the Giro for everybody. So get yourself a new kit for summer or winter, depending on where you are. And uh, yeah, let us know which ones you've got, which ones you like. And Benji was flexing his pro air jersey, I think, on Instagram oh, the other yeah. day. Yep, I just got mine, which I need to have a look at. I just got the message that it arrived. I'm pretty geared up. Thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. Going on to that Almeida discussion, Benji, this is a topic that was requested of us yesterday, but my camera battery was running out. Patrick Lefebvre in the press, this is Unbelievable to me the timing of his statements, Benji. Before the Giro starts, <laughs> he's in the press saying that Almeida is definitely leaving, that Almeida's manager is being unreasonable and disrespectful in negotiations and they want Almeida to, to stay but it's out of his hands and they're not being realistic and Almeida's gone for 2022 this is before the day before the giro starts where for the two weeks beforehand in every interview remco and lefebvre like remco is just here to ride for joao he's there just riding for almeida and then the day before they're like fuck that almeida's gone and we were like what this poor guy he's 22 years old like must be tough seeing that in the press uh so first of all benji are you surprised purely from a human resources perspective that Quickstep don't really want to pay the big bucks for Almeida to extend for three, four years. I think that that's the thing that the Koenig has been doing for years to a lot of their talent. It's The Koenig is not known to be the all-paying team that gives top money every single time that a rider exceeds a certain amount, except for being their top riders like Tom Bonin in the past or in Evenepoel in the future, because... Let's be real, because he's Belgian, he's going to get an advantage on the other potential GC riders on the team. I think that largely plays here as well. But I think that Almeida is not necessarily a rider that 
is 100% necessary for the team for next year. But I think that he's very valuable, though. And that's where you need to find the, the perfect balance in what you want to spend on a runner. And I think that the Koenig has significant issue for next year. We said it in the past already. 90% of their riders were out of contract at the start of the season. They re-signed Evenepoel, Alaphilippe, and uh, Osgren so far. So that's three, I think four or five in total that they have right now actually signed, which means that they need to get to around 30. And they're not close to that, I can tell you. So I think that Signing Almeida for a large prize now might mean that they aren't able to afford a lot of the riders that are perhaps the outsiders on the team right now that have the possibility of growing true to a better rider in the future. And I think Almeida is at a point where he's... Ah, I'm not sure Almeida has a lot he's, of potential to grow anymore. I think that he can get better. Yeah, true. But on the other hand, he's going to win a race eventually. I think that he's not going to be like Kellerman, who, after uh, X amount of years, doesn't have the victory that he's looking for. But I Why think not? I think that Almeida has more opportunities. I think Almeida has a better punch than Kellerman. I think that Almeida f- has a better time trial. Definitely better so TT. Definitely. In, in stages, in, in the smaller stage race, he's going to get the opportunity to win sta- time trials at certain points in his career. I think that He's arguably a more consistent rider in the climbing because we don't know this so far, but Kellerman has a lot of bad luck, obviously. And he also crashed a lot next to that. Not sure if that's all bad luck or if that's uh, other influences from his end. So looking at Almeida, we haven't really seen that too much. I don't even remember Almeida crashing. So he paces I the can't climbs. tell you. Already he paces them exactly like Thomas at 22. It's incredible. Yeah, he's like... He's yeah. like a better version of Jungles when he was a climber. That's a good example. I, I just I think his flat sprints a little bit overrated at this point. Yeah. I feel like people mm-hmm. think, oh, he's like in a reduced group. He's yeah, yeah. almost like Roglic and Pogaccia. Sort of. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see that to be honest. Um, but he he's a fantastic rider. Both. Well, I, I don't want to speak for Benji. I personally thought he should have gone to the Tour. But the problem is he's on a team with Philippe and Bennett, so you've yeah. got a guy going for stages and wearing the yellow jersey and doing all the Philippe things. You've got Bennett going for stage wins too. So there's no space for him there. That being said, I thought, take it. The guy can look after himself. His TT is dominant. I know sometimes I'll be like, oh, going for top 10 on GC, eighth position, waste of time. Not if you're 22 years old in the Tour de France. Going for fifth on GC, that's important and serious. And being in the top GC group up there every day, it's big exposure. And every day, like, people are like, oh, Lander got fourth in the Tour last year. Well, for the whole Tour, he was right there, not that far behind Roglic. He's in group one until the last 30 seconds every day, and then they do the mountain sprint. It's the same exposure almost, except for not, you know, not winning the stages. So I think they should have taken Almeida to the Tour. His TT is great. His climbing on the not-so-steep, not-so, yeah, not-so-steep stuff is great too, or good, good enough. And um, I am also, to play devil's advocate though, if you're Patrick Lefebvre, you get Almeida's agent and you've got to take it with a grain of salt when Lefebvre says. I mean, yeah. when, is he ever, when has he ever said, his agent came to me and you know what? His offer was completely reasonable. <laughs> he's literally <laughs> he's literally never said every time he said his agent came to me on the day of my daughter's wedding 
and he asked me to give Joao Almeida 25 million euro per month. <laughs> like, that's what he says in the press. And I do think the agent probably said, 22 years old, he's going to win the tour, you should give him seven figures, look at what he or she got. But he or she nearly won a monument. He or she won flesh. He or she won two Tour de France stages. Yes, Almeida was in pink for like 14, 15 days. But as I said, he hasn't won a race. So if you're Lefebvre, you're saying, hey, I got Renko, I'm good. I don't I don't need a guy who's the same TT, worse climbing and less expo- you know, sponsor exposure. I got Renko in five years. And Joa, I'll give you I'll give you four hundred K a year, probably less than that, to pace Remco on the climbs at the Grand Tours, and maybe you'll get a chance at your own one week races. Are you happy with that? And if I'm Almeida, I say, No way, I want to go for the tour yeah. leadership. So it, it's just as Benji said at the top, it's, it's just two, it's two groups who both have are on different directions. It doesn't really make sense for them to stay together in our view. So Talking about that, Benji, you think it's a done deal he's gone? Yeah, I think it's a done deal he's gone. I think where? Where's he he, going? Well, first of all, I think think we mentioned it in the past already when we were talking about it, uh, that we were going over the riders of the Koenig and looking at who could go. And I think Almeida is the rider that would not get the opportunities that he wants nor money that he wants in this team in the future. And therefore, he deserves leadership. And he deserves more money than he could get at the Koenig, to be honest. For sure. If you look at the amount of money that people get in cycling these days, then I don't know. I'd expect to get seven million if I'm no matter. I'll get a team that pays that to me. Like <laughs> seven, seven million. The catch is on fire. No, I said seven figures. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> seven figures. Jesus, <laughs> Benji. No one ever. Benji wants to get a job as an intern, DS somewhere. Jesus, we bankrupt him in two weeks. I mean. Seven I agree. Sorry. I think Lefebvre wants them to earn it through bonuses, but the thing is Almeida doesn't win a lot of races. He's the type of guy who probably yep. will podium a grand tour without maybe winning a stage or winning one. I like him at EF. Uran is aging out. Maybe that budget, that salary is coming off the books soon. I think Carthy is not the guy for a TT-heavy tour. They got Guerrero, who loved working for Almeida last year in the Giro. <laughs> no, seriously. They got the You're Portuguese right. combo there. I think EF is a really, really good fit for Almeida. Um, and they got the funky kids. I can't afford him. You don't think? Uran I don't think they can getting, afford him. Uran is surely getting paid a fair bit. Yeah, but the amount of competition they have, UAE, Bora, these teams have so much money these days. They're going to throw it at him. Like He's talented. He's young. He's got a future. Whatever team he goes to, he's going to bring victory. No, perhaps not victories. I think a few victories, yes. And podiums on on proper races. And I think that he was close to winning that. Was it Emilia or some other uh, Italian classic last year? So, uh, yeah, certainly certainly can win stuff in the future. And he's got so much potential. Uh, I think that my honest opinion. Why would UAE sign him? I don't see it. Well, they they I, signed Micah, so might as well throw money at Almeida. Yeah, but Micah got signed to ride in front of Pagacha in France in July, I think. Yeah, as fourth rider ahead of him, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bora is the perfect fit if I'm Almeida because Bookman, the TT, isn't looking great. I think Bookman can't 
it doesn't look like mm-hmm. it's Rob yeah. Pog. His peak is not aligning with them in like a Tour de France scenario unless it was a weird parkour, weird year. 2019, he got close, granted, but I don't see it for Bookman. Almeida's got the TT. I know they've got Kelderman, but do they really – like do you want to hinge your GC hopes, Benji, for the next three years on Bookman, Kelderman, and Kemner for the Tour with yeah, Sagan maybe leaving? I agree. I agree with you. It's a good team to go to. But the problem is that Bora has been in every single transfer rumor the entire year. <laughs> yeah. Sagan well, leaving. Sagan's leaving. Stolsa joining, for example. All that stuff. Like well, nothing is confirmed so, so far, but Almeida <laughs> yeah. would definitely fit there. And I think that I'd like it if Almeida would be there. But I don't know. It's Sometimes it just feels a tiny bit off. Perhaps is because he hasn't ridden outside of the Koenig properly yet and maybe that's why i'm like linking him too much to that team that i find it hard to see him ride for a different team that happens a lot i think when riders are going away from their or arguably one of their first teams in their career but yeah i think bora might be a good fit i think that um how, which other teams may have money these days bahrain has has money but they've got israel Bilbao and landa start nation but they're spending so much money on so many people that it's what Almeida doesn't give sponsorship value to the country of Israel, so it's unlikely. Okay, that's enough on Almeida. Let us know who you think should sign him down below in the comments or tweet at us hashtag LRCP. I think he'd be a valuable addition in the Tour de France squad in a 60k TT sort of normal parkour on just about any team except for Yumbo Visma, UAE, and Quickstep. W52 Porto. Yep. I mean, win the Algarve, win Tour of Portugal, win the Tour. Portugal goes crazy. All right, that's enough on Almeida, but not enough on Lefebvre. The second bit of Patrick Lefebvre news this week, Benji, three days after he's roasting Almeida's manager in the press, is the Sam Bennett news. And I we expected the Almeida news. The Sam Bennett news took us, well, took me by surprise, mainly because this guy is your sprinter in the Tour de France this year. And also, Sam Bennett seems like a real, I'm not, I don't want, I'm not saying emotional, I more mean like uh, he likes having the team support around him. He likes to feel like the team's backing him. He's clicking with Merku. The vibes are good. I feel like he really feeds off that energy. And to have the favorite being like, you know what, other teams have come for Sagan, uh, for Bennett. They're offering a lot of money. We've had sprinters before. We let them go, and uh, they always do shit elsewhere. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, <laughs> we're happy to let top sprinters go. This time, I think he's wrong. I've been accused of being a Bennett hater. I don't think he's going to go somewhere and be as bad value as Viviani who's on over 2 million euro a year. And it was winning at Bora with yep, before a lot fixed it a lot winning a lot. <laughs> like, so a, were you surprised Benji about that news coming out for no reason before the tour before, before the Giro and B do you really see Bennett going and would you sign him for two, 3 million euro, which is what Viviani sort of got. Well, the timing of saying it before the Giro is already kind of questionable for me on a, on an HR aspect, because you're basically saying before the decisive races of that rider for your team are happening in the season, y'all were leaving. 
we're not going to be uh, teammates anymore. But I think that this is very different towards some things that happened in the past in the team. I think that looking at Bennett here versus how he left Bora is very different. Here, I think that they value each other a lot. Bennett values the Koenig, the Koenig values Bennett. And I think that these two are generally just not agreeing contract-wise. And Bennett You think it's a negotiation kind of, tactic? No, I don't think it's a negotiation tactic. I think that they've come at a point where it's unlikely that they're going to sign because the Koenig we said it quite a few times already, is not the team that pays big bucks for riders. They the do sprinters. so for their top riders, and they know that every single time that they replaced, for example, their sprinter, they found someone else to replace it because what is a great advantage of the team is that Murkoff's the lead out. Now, obviously, Bennett has a lot of value in the wins he got, but I still think with a rider like Merck who has your lead out, you can find another sprinter that gets in the wheel and he's still going to get victories. Maybe not as much as Bennett, but it's still going to be quite valuable. And I think that's the card that Lefebvre is picking because he realized that in the last couple of years that always worked, that strategy for him. True, the difference is that Bennett is, in my opinion, a better sprinter than, than Viviani. Better even than you comparing to uh, when they were Head together. To he's better than you and Oh my god! Did he just say that? <laughs> did, did we record that? Nah, I oh don't know. God. I don't know. If I was Quickstep, I'd be wanting to say sign someone like Caleb Ewan. But I feel like Bennett in a couple of spots this year. You look at our Garth; he's having to close gaps himself in the last fifteen hundred meters, getting to the right spot to get back onto his train. And yep. I think he's yeah. I see him. He's Really, really good. I think this is more indicative of where Lefebvre is seeing 2022 Tour de France. He might, if, if Remco Evenepoel hadn't recovered from the Lombardia crash, maybe he says, okay, I'll pay Sam Bennett seven figures, not a problem, plus you get some yeah. fat bonuses because you're going to be winning Tour de France stages for me. But if he's thinking, well, Remco's back, I just gave him a five-year deal. Like, don't get it wrong. The plan is Remco Tour de France 2022. That's why he's on a five-year deal. That's why the sponsors are re-upping for more money. That's the plan, at least the only logical plan I can think of. And in that plan, Bennett at the Tour doesn't fit. Alaphilippe can go hunt for stages. Do you see – I don't think they're going to be bringing a mixed squad, Benji. Do you think they can have a squad where they have like Seri, Masnada, Honoré, Merku and Bennett, Bennett just having Merku, Alaphilippe just there, okay, so like a mixed squad trying to achieve three objectives or you think they're going to go zero at the tour next year and it's just like GC only? Hmm, I think that they still have the opportunity of doing a semi-mixed squad. For example, if you send Merku with Ballerini in the wheel, for example, then I think Ballerini can still work and Merku can still work for the likes of Remco on flat stages. But I think that and Alaphilippe oh. can pull in medium mountains. Yeah, but Alaphilippe, is he going to race for Emco? I really don't if, know about that, mate. 
Oh, in the third week, if he's wearing a jersey, sure. But he, I mean, he can physically do it. But otherwise, he'll be allowed to do his own thing. Of course, he'll do his own thing. Yeah, but I just mean he physically can do mm-hmm. it. Ballerini's a good call, though, because they got Viviani climbing really, really well in quick step before he left for Cofidis. And that, today's the first day we saw those quick step legs. Viviani used to pull sometimes in yeah. the beginning of medium mountains. Don't forget it. Uh, but you think Ballerini, do you think, Benji, they think he can fill that role as the top-tier sprinter because there's not many people on the market. Ackerman, Nizzolo, Viviani, and I'm forgetting one more. They're the main, and uh, Christophe Laporte is the fourth guy. They're the top four sprinters out of contract in 2022. Would you just take a chance on Ballerini, Benji, instead of those four? I think that it's definitely a second-class option, but you've got other riders on the team. Uh, I'm going to get haunted for suggesting it, but Cavendish? You never know. Oh. Put him in Mercury's wheel. The well, favorite is probably like, I'm paying nothing for Cavendish because the sponsor's paying his salary. Yeah. And he got me all this exposure this year at Tour of Turkey, <laughs> more than if someone wins some world tour races. Yeah, and next to Cavendish, Jakobsen, where is he going to be in here? We don't know yeah, that. True. We have no clue if he's got the legs for sprinting anytime soon. You know that he's been riding and he's been finishing with the peloton. He's been doing a bit of work left and right for the sprinter that is present in that race. We haven't seen him ride for himself yet. Are we going to see that by the end of the year? Hopefully. I really hope so because then we have a bit of a, a thought process to where he might be in a sprinting level. I think that I think it's unlikely that we're going to see Jakobsen win a sprint this year from what I can expect. At least I don't see it happening. So I'm leaning more towards next year for his rise to become a decent top sprinter again but um if you look at the team then those are the three names i'm looking at because hodge well we we know our opinion on hodge so far this season he needs to go yeah like eh, i feel bad for him every single time also because he's he still had that injury i think one and a half years ago and he was coming back from that but the way they put him in tireno next to a sprinter he's not going to get opportunities there put him in smaller races and then cavendish gets that spot so he's not in a good place nor is he offering enough for the Koenig. So those two have to split because Hodge can do more on other teams, I think. And I think the Koenig, well, quite simply, uh, doesn't need him at the moment. So looking at riders from those four you mentioned, Akuman, Nizzolo, uh, what were the other ones? Laporte and Viviani. I'd do you be sign Nizzolo. Do you sign Ackerman to lead out Merku? <laughs> and then... <laughs> The problem is if you put him in Merku's wheel, Ackerman's going to launch earlier than Merku does. So. Yeah. The thing nah, is, Benji, yeah? guess who's out of contract after this year? Merku. He's 36 years old and he's uh, surely they re-sign him. He's almost yeah. more important than Bennett because Bennett can be sort of replaced, I guess. Although yeah. best I case agree. for Quickstep, Jakobsen comes back in full force and they've got a top three sprinter Bang, they're right up there. Again, re-sign Merku. And Jakobsen's going to be cheaper than Bennett because, you know, the, unfortunately he's had that crash and he's coming back. So there's more of a risk for quick step. Bennett, if I'm if you're Bennett, Benji, do you back yourself and take the money elsewhere and go for TDF sprints at another team? Do you go back to Bora? Yeah. Bora, no, because Bora never gave him opportunities. So I'd be like, no, nah, you ain't getting me back. Yeah, no I agree. Way. I hold. I, hold I would grudges. never. 
never yeah, resign like that. <laughs> so um, looking at, I won't look at teams where you could go to yet because I generally haven't scrolled to the teams, but looking at those four, as you said, you mentioned Ackermann, but Need Solo seems to be the perfect candidate, in my opinion, to put in really? Mercury's wheel. I really, oh. truly believe so. He might genuinely he, get his first zero stage. I, I think he can be quick enough. I didn't like the draft he got off earlier yesterday and couldn't get up to his up to his hip. I didn't like that in a pure sprint stage. I think that's a different I think Bennett in Merlier's wheel yesterday, he's not he's not staying in the wheel. He's at least drawing up and making that close. Um and that, so that concerns me from uh Nitsolo, but he's the best on the market. Benji and I agree in that sense. Nitsolo is the best on the market. How much he'll cost, don't know whether Quick Steps believe in him. The thing is, Nitsolo can be a classic C guy too. They'll like his Ken Fableham result, and mm-hmm. that's what Quick Step want from their sprinters too. Yeah. I think. But I think we mentioned Ackerman swiftly as a bit of a meme, but I think that thinking through the weaknesses that Ackerman currently has, Ackerman's weakness is his timing. Very big weakness for him at the moment, and the fact that he can't trust his leadouts. If he's got Merku, he can trust his leadout, and Merku will be the kind of rider that will click with him, and will probably they'll find a way to to fix that timing. I generally believe that if Ackerman is in the wheel of Merku, they could also get big things happening. For sure, and we might finally see the Ackerman again of of three years ago in the Giro. Chiclamino, yeah, yeah, Ackerman's still quick. I need to go through and look at his watts, compare the UAE, what watts he won with and how he's doing this year. They're probably not that different. But, yeah, let us know again. Where do you think Bennett's going? Do you think Lefebvre is just trying to knock his price down or do you think Wanty. he's gone? Wanty? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Probably not. But, anyway, that was our podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. We thought we'd hit you with a bit of breaking news as well. And we'll see you hopefully with a chaotic medium mountain stage in the Giro d'Italia tomorrow. Ciao. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.